Hey, my name is Brian W. Carpenter, weapons master and armorer for Dark 30 Film Services, and this is the Go Creative Show. Hello and welcome to the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today we speak with Brian W. Carpenter. He's an armorer and weapons master for Dark 30 Film Services. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Ben. I really appreciate it. So I really want to use today as an opportunity to talk about safety on set. Um, obviously, in light of what happened with uh, Helena Hutchins and uh, all of the news that has come out since then and a lot of revelations since then. And it's a, certainly an ongoing story. As we speak today, there's some brand new news that just came out uh, overnight. And I'm very eager to talk to you about that. But I think what I want to do today is certainly talk about that incident, but broaden it out and talk about how do we avoid this in the future? What could have been done? What should have been done? And so much more. And we'll, we'll certainly get to all of that. But before we do, I just want to very quickly mention the sponsor for today's episode is MZ, Empowering Filmmakers. And of course, remind you all to follow us on your favorite podcast app, as well as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So let's start with... The, the news. I mean, obviously, everybody knows what happened a week or so ago now, the fatal shooting of Helena Hutchins on the set of Rust. Um, a lot of new information has come out since that has happened. And I'd like to start with what is the latest information that we have right now? Well, the latest information as of today, uh, the sheriff uh, of Santa Fe and the district attorney um, actually had a presser, held a presser yesterday, and uh, in that presser they uh, established that it was a live round. Now, uh, from a legal standpoint of it, and I do have some mm. experience in that space to understand this, um, he, first he said it was a live round, then when pressed during the actual back and forth with the reporters, he said, we were waiting on absolute confirmation, but that's common in uh, investigative circles when you're doing that kind of thing. Uh, they may be 99% sure that it was a live round, Round, but they're going to wait till the medical examiner gives their report and the FBI forensics lab gives their report. And then that adds that little extra bit of uh, verification for them to say it. But for the most part, we found out that it was a live round. So, And then uh, secondly, the um, first assistant director actually said that he had picked up the weapon and that he saw three uh, bullets in it, three rounds in it. Uh, I, I do not understand uh, exactly what he was referenced to. Did he see the rounds in it and verify that he thought they were dummy rounds? Or did he see the rounds in it and just disregard the rounds? Uh, that's a lot of confusion yeah. there. And I can definitely get deeper into that as we talk, but that's just uh, new news. And then as of this morning, the sheriff, I believe it was this morning, the sheriff went on an interview and they uh, mentioned to him that it was um, a terrible accident. And he said, I would be careful referring to it as an accident. It's been investigated as a criminal offense. Wow. So... Those those new pieces of news are, are pretty concerning and, and honestly kind of scary. I mean, to, to even consider this not an ask, accident is really outrageous. But even just for the sake of argument, considering that it is and was an accident, there certainly must have been safeguards that were disregarded. Like there, there must be, you know, processes in place that prevent this from happening. And I want to get to all of that. And the reason why you are on this show is because you are an expert in this field as an armorer. And I think that's a role that a lot of people listening to the show, myself included, um, 
I've never had an experience working with an armorer. I don't necessarily even know what it is that you do and are responsible for. So let's start there. You know, what is an armorer and what is it that you do? An armorer is a position inside of a film crew. Uh, we work directly under the prop master, uh, and we're in the props department. Subsequently, that would be the art department. And our primary number one function is to make sure that weapons that are being used on set, firearms, are used safely and properly. Uh, that is the number one uh, paramount uh, thing that we do. The secondary thing that we do is make sure that we work with the director and all of the crew to make sure that they get the shot that they want and they do it safely. It has proper distances when you're using blanks and you know uh, all of the safety uh, precautions such as not pointing in the in certain directions, keeping off-center shots, and then uh, also educating the actors, uh, any talent that's going to be handling it with the safe usage of that firearm. Um, lastly would be the third uh, uh, facet in that which would be actually making sure that um, the scene looked accurate it looked uh, correct uh, in other words if it's a special operations soldier going through a door and he's using a you know a rifle a military rifle that he's holding it correctly he's moving correctly with it and he uh, is believable in or she is believable in their character so there's a lot of discussion about whether or not we should even be using real guns on set. And, you know, when you hear the news story about what happened here and just in general and just the vernacular of people, even in filmmaking, is this idea of a prop gun. And I would like for you to set the record straight about what exactly is a prop gun, because oftentimes a prop gun could actually be a real gun. And there's a distinction there that people don't really understand. So. Can you walk us through what a prop gun actually is? That's an excellent question. And over the last uh, few days, I think that the public that wasn't aware of a lot of this, um, and rightfully so, understandably, uh, has started making a distinction there. So the use of prop gun has become just a slang term uh, for firearms on set in the general populace. But uh, in filmmaking, which is uh, what we're talking about here, a prop gun is actually a rubber or plastic weapon that is not capable of firing a blank round. Um, you have hard rubber and soft rubber uh, to use with stunt scenes where they would be you know, fighting over a weapon or hitting each other with a weapon or falling on that weapon. Uh, you have plastic guns that uh, from a distance look, you know, believable. And there are for scenes where you're throwing it across the ground or it's being, you know, uh, mishandled uh, in a rough way that would destroy the real thing. And then also both plastic uh, props and or rubber props uh, would be used in a rehearsal generally. When they're rehearsing, there's no need, no need on a normal uh, uh, average day to bring that out. Now, there's sometimes where the actor says, I want to feel the weight of this or I want to see what we're dealing with here. But that would be larger, more complex things. If it's just an average rehearsal of a scene, well, hey, let's give you a prop gun and let's not yeah. uh, even worry about bringing the real thing out. If there's anything actually being shot out of it, the, the flash, the smoke, all that stuff, if that is real and practical and not visual effects, that is actually not a prop gun. 
That's a real gun shooting blanks. Am I, am, I, am I understanding that correctly? You're exactly correct. That is precisely correct. Now, there are versions of air guns and gas guns. And to get into technicality of it, airsoft, but all of that is not a real gun. We, that all would fall under some version of a prop gun. So if it fires blanks and it has fire coming out of the end of it, gunpowder coming out of the end of it, it is a real gun. Now, modern guns may require some type of modification to make them function properly, but the old stuff, uh, like that would be used on a, a Western, and require no modification because they're mechanically operated weapons. Uh, so that is the distinction between a prop and a real one. And in fact, slaying on a movie set is a really. So when you're out there, you're doing a scene, you know, maybe it's a uh, uh, DB kind of stuff, and you don't need to see the gun up close. You've got some plastic uh, prop guns out there, but then they'll say, okay, we're going to be closer now. We're going to move camera in. Now we're going to have to switch out for a really, and really designates a real gun, which is a non-prop. So in this particular situation that happened on the set of Rust, where was the mistake? Was the mistake that they thought it was a prop gun and it was a real gun, or was the intention always to be a real gun? What, what was it supposed to be? Um, I can't, especially with all the information coming out and all of the multiple levels, it seems, of safety, you know, that was violated or, you know, not attended to on the set. I wouldn't even, I don't even know where to begin there from what we're hearing. Um, but I can well, tell what you is how it, it should have been done. I can tell yeah, you how it should have well, been done. Well, tell us what happened first. What happened was uh, somehow a live round, which is a real bullet. Now, the difference between that is... Uh, Blank round has a casing that has gunpowder in it, but no projectile. In other words, no nothing that would go out of the barrel and leave and go downrange. Only for mm -hmm. visual, only for sound, only for, for uh, visual fire, et cetera, et cetera. A real round has gunpowder and a projectile. And that is what you would use in the real world, of course, in any kind of application that you would be doing there. So apparently a real round live round, made it out to set, which is absolutely, uh, under no circumstances, uh, should never, ever occur. So that's what happened. And then it made its way into the gun, which made its way to the set, which then made its way into the hands of the AD, and then to uh, Alec Baldwin, who cocked it, drew it, cocked it, and fired it directly at uh, Helena Hutchins, um, killing her. It's just amazing that that could even happen. Like, what could the possible scenario be that you need real live ammunition on set? There is none. That, that, that is an easy question. You know, so many questions are ambiguous or there could be, you know, certain circumstances where, oh, well, like this extreme thing that you do this or, but this is one of those questions that there is no other answer other than it should not under any circumstances, no matter what movie you've ever seen. Uh, and I've had people ask me this. It's like, oh, well, they shot that car up or they blew that glass out or they put a hole in this in this wall. That's all special effects. That's all practically done uh, or visually done. Uh, never, never does a live round ever enter the atmosphere of a movie set. So yesterday during the press conference with Ada Mendoza, the Santa Fe County Sheriff, he had mentioned that out of the 600 items of evidence, it included three firearms, approximately 500 rounds of ammunition, and several pieces of clothes and accessories. Um, that that sentence there, approximately 500 rounds of ammunition, are they referring to blanks or are they referring to actual live rounds as we 
been referring to them today? Uh, more than likely, that uh, 500 rounds of blank ammunition for a show, a Western, an average Western like that, sounds correct. You would order in about that many blanks. Uh, I believe he also said in that that uh, they also found additional live, suspected live rounds in with that 500 rounds, which is, again, even more disturbing to hear, uh, so that it may have been more live rounds mixed in. But um, out of what you just described, yeah, what that would have been on a normal set, it would have been the blank rounds, and it would have been a mixture of dummy rounds. And dummy rounds look just like a real round, except they have BBs in the casing except instead of gunpowder. So you can shake them and uh, both audibly and physically feel that they are not real, and they're used for real close camera work. So that would have been the only acceptable type rounds that would have been on set. So let's let's, I want to understand the different types of rounds that can be available on set. Okay. So you said there's a dummy round, there's a blank, and then there's live ammunition. Is, is my terminology correct? That's, or? The, that's the three types of ammunition, but only two have okay. a place on a movie set, uh, both Ma a dummy exactly, and yes. a blank. Mm -hmm. So dummy and blank, can you describe to us the difference between a dummy round and a blank round? I can, and I even have some here. Um, so this is a blank round. Now this is this would be actually what they would have more than likely been using on that set because it's for the caliber and type weapon that was used. So as you can see it's brass, it's been crimped at the top. The brass has been um, crushed in and inside yeah. of this is gunpowder and in the end of it that small circle on the inside of the larger circle that's the primer. The primer has uh, explosives in it. When the hammer strikes it, it detonates, which then in turn detonates the powder on the inside of this casing here, and you have fire and smoke that comes out. Okay? okay. This is a dummy round. A dummy round looks identical to a real round. See this right here? That's the projectile. That's what would go downrange if it were a real bullet. Uh, this is simulates the real thing because if you want to look straight down a revolver cylinder and you need to see that there's rounds in there or if they want to see them loading or even in a gun belt of an old western gun belt, they might want to see the you know dummy rounds because that's how they would have them loaded. Now this is specially built, specially modified so that it has, it has it's impossible for a dummy round to go off. Though it has a projectile and though it has a casing, the primer has been struck and or removed in the end of it, so it has no explosives in it. All the gunpowder has been removed from the casing, and if you shake it, which you may not be able to hear this, but if you shake it, you can hear BBs inside shaking around, and you can feel, which is even more important, you can feel the BBs inside. These are, mm -hmm. like again, as I said... These are, to me, you know, what I'm most careful of looking for when I'm on a movie set because they look so realistic, and I bring my own, I triple-check them, I get them from a reputable source, and these things never leave a locked container because I ever, never want any option of anything getting intermingled, which should never even have a, be a chance, but you operate on the worst possible case scenario so that everything else is easier. You never, never operate on the least likely. So the dummy round... There's nothing in there that would eject out. Nothing that would no, nothing that would detonate and create a, a power that would push the projectile out. It's inert. Okay. So when you when you have a dummy round and then you pull the trigger, nothing really happens. Nothing right? at all. Nothing at all. Okay. It's just a, it, so really, it's not necessarily for the for the shooting of the gun. It's more for the visual aesthetic of having a bullet in view. That's right. Of the imagine okay. imagine the movie uh, imagine the movie Tombstone. Let's just use that, yeah. right? Okay, you got Wide Earp out there. He's got his gun belt on. 
And in that gun belt, usually 24 leather loops all the way around the gun belt, right? Yep. Uh, and, you know, that's where they kept their rounds. Well, that's where a dummy round would come into place. They would put dummy rounds after they were checked. The dummy rounds would go into the loops, and, and you would have the look but no danger. Okay. And that's the now, only two types. Now, the, okay, so there's the dummy round. Now, the blank does, they are intended to shoot something out. They're, that's the whole point of it. You're supposed to get the sound. You're supposed to get the smoke. You're supposed to get the flash. That's right. Talk to us a little bit. So what are the dangers with a blank? Okay. So depending upon the type of movie, and I've worked with everything from a 50 caliber rifle machine gun, which is sometimes mounted on a tank, down to a small you know, handgun uh, that similar to what uh, Alec Baldwin was using on that set. So depending on the type of firearm, there's a minimum safe distance in front that both, as you described, the flash, the fire, the smoke, and concussive force, concussion, comes out. We make sure that we have set distances for these different types of rounds and how far you need to be away from them to be safe. Okay, uh, A handgun with a normal handgun blank can kill within a few inches. And I think it was John Hexham, I believe, uh, way back, I believe it was in the 80s, was, uh, had a revolver loaded with blank rounds and put it to his head and was playing Russian roulette on set, I guess just messing around, and pulled the trigger. Mm. And because the barrel was so close to his head, it killed him. Uh, that would be an example, an extreme example of a close quarters uh, uh, death with a firearm. Obviously, safety was breached on multiple levels there by, you know, but nonetheless, that's how it can kill at close range. Past a few uh, inches, it's not more than likely going to kill, and past a few feet, it's just going to create a fire burn to the skin, maybe some unburnt powder would strike you, or concussion, you know, would, would, would hit you. Uh, past, the, then we have the minimum safe distances at that point, okay, which are usually quadrupled at least the distance that you think it could possibly hurt someone. So you take the distance that it could cause damage of any sort, even if it was just, oh, my, oh, I felt a little bit of it hit me in the face. I mean, even if it was something so small as that, you take that, ma that minimum distance and then you take it and multiply it times four. And then there's your minimum safe distances, particular to the particular round. And it goes from, you know, 21 feet minimum uh, all the way up to 30 yards between, you know, depending on what you're firing, maybe even more. And depending on the weapon, of course. So that's, the distances of how you operate with a blank round, but then also you have one of the four basic safety rule, rules as well. No matter what a movie looks like, uh, you never point the weapon directly at another performer or a crew or cast or the a camera unless it's locked off and remote operated. Uh, so that's part of instruction and education to the person handling the weapon so that they know that they're not supposed to do that either. And uh, if you put all these factors together, and you've checked all of this prior, then blank rounds can be safely employed on a set and have been for many, many years and thousands and thousands and thousands of movies. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, in this particular circumstance, I've been hearing that, and there's just so much, there's so much he said, she said right now going on with this story. But what I was hearing is that this incident happened during a rehearsal. So the camera was not rolling. They were doing a rehearsal. And the space, the environment that they're in was that, kind of church and they had a couple of shots of, of them inside right. of that uh inside of that set church that they made it doesn't look like i mean i didn't go there and measure it but it just the size of the space itself doesn't necessarily seem like it's even big enough to maintain those safe distances like you're talking about and still have enough room behind the camera for the crew and everybody like that so 
it, it seems like the, the logistics of that space weren't conducive to the proper way of discharging blanks already. Is that the impression that you're getting as well? Well, it can be done a, a lot of different ways. Uh, and these, you know, as this sh your show is, you know, you know, we talk, we're talking about filmmaking here, right? Um, so let's just take that and run with it for a second. Let's say I, I was on a Western and they were like, hey, we're inside of this saloon, uh, same distances or something of that nature. And they said, hey, we want the actor to draw and fire cock and fire, cock and fire two rounds out of his old West gun. And we've got maximum 30 feet length and 15 feet width. Okay, well, it's pretty simple to do this. What we do is we uh, take the cast and crew, move them out of the way or behind. We remote lock mm -hmm. off the camera if you want to see it, and then there's no one in front at all. And then you can shoot away. Uh, the only thing you're going to damage is the expensive camera, and, uh, if, and usually we put a uh, flat up in front of it and keep some Lexa, Lexa, you know, Lexan in front of it to keep from tearing up that hundred thousand dollar camera. Plus, <laughs> so aside from that, yeah. you know, you can do it all day long uh, with no chance of harming someone. Um, and uh, if they wanted to have it where they had. Uh, 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 crew near, then we would back up the maximum safe distance. If it was, if it was the correct distances, then they would aim, you know, five or six foot off to the side of camera and then they could operate it, but it can be done. It just needs to be done correctly. Now, uh, the, the bullets again, just to go back to that one last time, the, it, it seems as though the, well, if, if truly was a live <laughs> round in this, in this gun on the set of rust, then a mistake was made, you know, a, a live round got blended in with blanks or dummy rounds. Is there something visible on the bullets that you can tell whether it's live or blank or dummy? Uh, not, but blank and, and live, yes. You will quickly and easily see that it's, uh, it does have no projectile or it has a projectile. Dummy and live, no. That's the whole point. It, it looks a lot mm. alike, and that's the, that's, the, that's the whole point of having a dummy round. But that's when you have to follow your safety procedures, and you have to be very, very careful with those kind of things. Let's take a quick break and talk about MZ Empowering Filmmakers. Now, MZ is the sponsor of this episode, and we love MZ for a bunch of reasons, one of which is that it is really the place to get the best filmmaking education. Um, when you go to MZ, you are faced with hundreds of hours of high-quality video-based filmmaking education and all of the subjects that we need to know. Um, directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and more. And you can access it all at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. Now, these really are high quality because they're produced and made by people that are in the industry and that know what they're doing, working at an A-list level. And I'm talking about educators like Vincent LaFerre and Shane Hurlbut and Philip Bloom and Tom Cross, who was the editor of La La Land and Whiplash and No Time to Die. So we're talking about educators at the top of their game teaching you their skills. Now, what what else could you ask for? This is exactly what we all need. Um, so head over to gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D, and you can buy individual courses, but you can also become an MZ Pro member, which is my suggestion, because then you have access to everything. It can kind of be like the Netflix of filmmaking education. And of course, you can get 20% uh, off your purchase by using coupon code GCS20 at checkout, GCS20. 20 for 20% off of your purchase, whether it's an MZ Pro membership or an individual course. So it's all there for you at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D, MZ, empowering filmmakers.
What are the steps that you would take for a scene just like this? Single operator, you know, one shot towards camera. What are the steps that you would take that should happen? Well, then let's talk. Let, that's excellent. And let's talk about this. I was called up a couple weeks ago to Chicago, Illinois, to work on a sci new sci-fi series that just started off. Prop Master called me. I really like him. He's very professional. Uh, I, I work with people that I know are safe, and he is one of those people. Um, he called me up there. They had a particular scene that they wanted to film, and I said, sure. I went up to Chicago. We went outside of uh, Chicago into a city, and we filmed this scene. The scene required the actress to uh, run through the woods. Uh, she was going to stop at some point in time and fire at uh, a guy that she was chasing, right? Uh, that's the scene. That's where I get the script. It gets sent to me on an email or whatnot. I go over the script. I say, okay, this is, you know, we can do this. This is how we're going to do this. And I prepare myself. Now, in this particular circumstance, I did not have to acquire the firearms from a, prop, a reputable prop house myself. Uh, it was already in place uh, when I got there. So, a professional prop master who's cross-trained as an armorer orders the weapon that he wants to use and the director wants to see. They'll get a choice like, hey, this is a sci-fi show, so here's the options of really uh, you know, futuristic-looking firearms, right? Yeah. They'll pick that one out. The prop master will call the prop house uh, out in California is where uh, almost all of them are. Uh, there's one in New York that's very reputable. They will ship that firearm to the prop master and or the armorer. Now, they've checked it. They've maintained it prior to that. Once it gets shipped, it lands, and it's collected by the armorer or the prop master. Now, here's something a lot of people don't know. These are regulated by the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. These weapons have a mm. chain of custody. So when they get there, you have to make sure that you're in custody. I mean, you're in possession of these, and it's your responsibility at that point in time. You then, I check the guns again. So that's another check. It came from a reputable props house. They were checking it. It gets shipped. It gets checked again immediately when it's removed from its boxing, which is shipped in large, lockable, very heavy-duty metal boxes and et cetera, et cetera. And they're shipped a certain way, too. After they get checked and we know that they're safe and clear of any you know, obstructions in the barrels and any rounds that could be damaging, and we're looking for blanks. I mean, the idea of a live round isn't even on the table because that's just so yeah, foreign exactly. to the whole idea, but we're still checking for blanks. We put these inside of a safe, a lockable container, uh, something that someone can't get in that's very secure. That's actually also regulated, uh, and they remain there until time for it to be put out and implemented on set. The morning before or the day before, they're prepped. The guns are looked at again. They're prepped for the day's work, so you're not going to be rushed. Uh, any blank rounds that are going to be needed are sequestered into a bag. Any dummy rounds you're needed going to be needed, sequestered into a bag, and the firearms are separate. You go there the next day at the lock back up again. And I'm not being fastidious here. This is exactly how it's done. I mean, it may seem like, yeah, oh, you're going yeah. through a lot. This is this is in educational, I think, to understand how many levels of safety and secure safety and protocol were broken here. Exactly. Uh, then you come back the next morning, you pull them out. Another check is performed at that point in time. Then they're loaded up onto your cart. Now, your cart may be a bag if it's a small day and it's only one firearm firing. Or it may be a rolling cart, or it may be a lockable cart if it's a lot of a lot of firearms out there. Any of whatever you may have available to you from the props department, or you brought remotely, 
you, at that point in time, constantly watch those firearms and are in possession of them from the time they roll off that truck to the time they're used and the time they go back in. If you have to step away for uh, uh, to bathroom or any number of things, uh, you either have a responsible party from the props department that also is trained in this to watch those things and never let them get out of their sight. No one touches them until you get back. Uh, uh, or you lock them up. If it's going to be an extended, you know, uh, tour away from the firearms, you lock them down. If it's going to be, you know, lunch, then they're taken off the set and put back in the safe. Now, that's getting it out to set, okay? I'm curious about how does it get into the hands of the talent? Because one of the things that we've been hearing when people talk about this situation that happened on Rust is that it seemed like the this particular weapon sort of changed multiple hands. You know, you have the props master, you have the armorer, and then it eventually gets to the AD, and then event, it just seems like it's bouncing all over the place. Right, and for right. something that sh- that so- for something that was in a safe, you know, the night before, and taken that assume, seriously, and we assume it was in a safe. Well, you know? yeah, it, yeah. exactly. But right. f- how does it then get into the hands of the talent? Okay, so it's on the set at this point in time, right? And you're there with it. You know what's going to be filmed. You know what to be expected. Okay. Uh, Let's skip past the rehearsal. In the rehearsal, you end up hand out a prop weapon, something that's not real because there's no reason to do the that. The rubber or the plastic, yeah, the like rubber, you mentioned exactly. before. And let them run through yeah. the rehearsal because they're, you know, they're moving around. They're figuring things out. There's no reason to have a real gun out on set. You let them work out their, their, uh, their scene. Uh, you know, I try a soft-handed approach. I let them do everything they're going to do creatively. When they get finally through and it's landed on their decision, then I put my two cents in. Is it safe? It's not safe. Yeah. If it's not safe, we're going to adjust. And if it's safe, we can move forward. Um, at that point in time, you stand by until they're ready to film. And uh, it isn't let's hand it off and you walk around with it and you know just hang out until they're ready to film. If, I, if it's more than a few seconds or, or you know, 10, 20 seconds they go by, I take it back and we just start all over again. But when they speed yeah. sound and say we're about to start rolling, I walk out to the set and right before we go out there, it has to be a double verification process at this point, which means some other person of authority on the set has to verify what I'm verifying. I'm saying this weapon has no obstruction in the barrel. It's not loaded right now. I'm about to load it with these dummy rounds. We're going to check those two. Or I'm about to load it with this these blank rounds. Sometimes it's the director, the stunt coordinator, the first AD, the DP, the key grip, and all the talent. Uh, sometimes all of them want to see it. Uh, it depends on your relationship with the crew, how long you've been working with them. Uh, sometimes only one for speed. Usually when you start off, everybody's wanting to look at it and check it. Then when they get used to you and feel that you're safe, then it's just the AD, the first AD. Yeah. Uh, but yep. at the very least, two human beings, two people have to say, Yes, this is a safe weapon. I've cleared it. I see there's nothing in the barrel and nothing here, and uh, we can move forward. At that point in time, you stand by. They get ready to roll. You load it with the blanks. You hand it off to the actor, and you've already, hopefully, if it's done right, had a moment to talk to this actor and make sure that they understand safe handling procedures and not to point the weapon directly at anyone or anything they're not willing to harm. And then you sit there and you watch it like a hawk from the for the rest of the time, making sure it's being done the way that it should be done. And that's the proper protocol. Now, how often do you actually get to do that? Not to say that you don't, but do you ever get pushback in this process? Is there ever this feeling like you don't have enough time to do what you need to do correctly? Um, I mean, production is always trying to find efficiencies everywhere. You know, if you can shave a half an hour off of something, there's potentially another shot you can bang out. So there's there's always a, a, a play with time. 
time is really valuable right. on set. And do you always, or do you ever feel like the amount of time you need is not being given to you to do things like this the way you want to? So obviously, as and it's one of the reasons I'm glad you had me on the show. You understand filmmaking, and everything is about time, and down to the seconds. Um, you know when they say inviting, and there's like 30 seconds till they on set. I mean, it's down to the seconds, and a lot of people don't understand that outside of our community, and they're like, I yeah. don't get it. But yeah, it's all about time. So that's a two two uh, sided question and answer right there. The one side of it is you're always being rushed. And no matter how rushed I am, those safety procedures that I just said, they're going to happen. They're going to happen yeah. whether I'm being rushed or whether I'm not being rushed. And if you and it has happened before, they'll get angry or, you know, you know, be calling on the radio every five seconds. Where's the gun? Where's the gun? Where's the gun? That's OK. You can just continue to do so because I'm going to take the time to follow those face safety protocol. Where I'm always rushed and where I don't get the proper time to do is instruct and educate the talent, at least on the minimum safety requirements. I usually wind mm. up having only uh, you know, a minute or two, if I'm lucky, before, before we actually do this thing, or maybe a couple minutes as they're going between hair and makeup and trailer. And, uh, you know, I've always pushed for and been an advocate of, and it's not too much to ask, that any talent that handles weapons on set, live weapons, should go through a minimum, minimum safety training class. We're talking four hours from a professional instructor teaching proper safe handling of a weapon and what they're dealing with. So some of the actors don't even understand that it's a real gun. They think that it's mm. like we just talked about, that it's a prop, and they handle it like a prop. No one's ever instructed them. No, no one's ever told them what to do. Um, today, in fact, something made me feel very good. I had an actor uh, text me this morning, um, one that I'd worked with on a long, long TV show, and uh, he texted me, and he said, man, uh, I saw you on a show. He said, so glad you were out there with us, and then he called me, and I talked to him, and he said, his name was Mario, and he said, um, he said, man, he said, I was listening to you talk about uh, the education of the actors and how you talked about the dummy rounds. And he goes, that's exactly what you said to me. You took the time to pull me aside. You showed me what the oh, dummy wow. rounds were. You showed me what's safe. And he said, thank you for keeping me, you know, keeping me safe on that set and all of us. And I said, man, you couldn't. That makes me feel so good, you know, and that's the way it should be, you know, but that's not all the way that the way it is. It surprises me so much to hear that something that's so important and so risky may not get the amount of time that it deserves by way of preparation on set because I, I've never worked with an armor. I've never done anything um, uh, with weapons on set, but I've worked with animals a lot and I've worked with kids a lot. And there is an extraordinary amount of time put into teaching crew and cast how to work with the animals or how to work with the kids on set. like. And just thinking about something that, I mean, working with an animal is not really dangerous, especially dogs and cats. Like, what, what's going to happen? They're trained animals. But still, so much time is spent preparing for that moment. And to think that that amount of time is not given to something like a weapon on set is just crazy to me. It's crazy. It's crazy, and I agree with it, but it is actually very accurate. And, uh, you know, I, it's, there's no other way to spin it. I mean, um, you, you think about this for just a moment. Uh, if, if the studios said, you know what, we're going to make sure that we take time. It's just mandatory. Anybody working on a movie where they're going to be handling these weapons, actually putting their hands on them, have to go through this four-hour safety class once a year. 
once you do it or biannually. Once you do it one time, you've got your certificate for it. And when you go to work on a show, then you've actually went through this process. So they know, hey, at the least, the base four basic rules of safety are going to be followed here. And those four yeah. basic safety rules have been in place in the real world space, which I came from for many, many years for a reason. And they mitigate an accident if it's going to occur. And imagine what I'm about to say. All of the multitude of safety violations that appears to have occurred in order to allow a round to get onto set. No question. You know, whether it rises to the level of gross negligence and criminal negligence, that's for the investigative body to decide. And they've got a lot of work ahead of them to, to do so. Having said that, if that weapon had been in the hands of Alec Baldwin and he had been following those four safety rules and pointing that gun off of somebody and never letting that muzzle cover anybody, even though he was handed off a live gun and told that it was not a live gun, and I have no doubt that he didn't believe that. There's no, I do not in any way think that he intentionally pointed that gun to harm somebody. But even yeah. at that, he would have known, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I'm not, I shouldn't point this gun at somebody. And he would have been pointing it off to the side when he pulled that trigger, and the bullet would have struck the wall or the floor or something else and not Helena Hutchins. And that's just proper education. It could be very well that uh, he never was educated in that. No one ever took the time to teach him. Uh, no one ever educated him on safety, and he truly believed it was a prop. Uh, he was like, hey, this is a prop. It's not a real gun. Can't do any major harm. We don't know any of these things for sure, but you can see a scenario in which, just for time, you're just not able to do it. Now, there right. is some talk of this armorist having trouble in the past, um, complaints from other cast members. Do you know anything about that? I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always uncomfortable just throwing stuff out there and you know, placing blame, and certainly right. in a case like this. But do you know for sure of any issues around the armors that was on the set of Rust? I don't. I do not know her personally or professionally. Uh, I do know her father uh, through uh, the the firearms uh, armor world and the film world. Um, he is a professional armor and has been one for many years. Um, as far as she's concerned, I have no uh, experience with her. Uh, 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 or no professional knowledge of what she does. But that brings me, that beckons the point that I'm, you know, that I would like to make here. And it's a good point to, uh, this, this is a good time to say it. Um, the other thing that I've been pushing for, aside from uh, minimum safety training for the actors on set, would be a national certification for armorers that does not exist. Um, there are pockets it's around the country. amazing to me that that doesn't exist. I agree. I agree 100%. Uh, there are pockets around the country that require certification for armors, but nothing national and certainly nothing in the South down here. So, you know, the only way that armors are vetted out uh, in a in the echelon of working professionally is word of mouth. You, you worked on other shows. Prop masters know you. Uh, studios know you. You, you know, you obviously are able to uh, do it safely and have done it safely, and uh, that's that's basically how it works. But now, lots of smaller shows or shows that may not have the resources to call, like tier one shows that can't pick up the phone and call, you know, a connection of theirs over at Marvel Studios or Disney. Um, who were one of the few studios that actually asked me for certifications before I got a job with them. And I was so mm. happy to send them some training certifications yeah. over. I was like, finally, someone is asking for the right, qu the right questions here. And I was, I couldn't get to a scanner quick enough, you know, to send those over. But yeah, aside from that, maybe they don't have those resources. Now they're calling just 
you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry and saying, hey, do you know anybody's an armorer? We need one on the set. We found out that mm-hmm. we're going to be using firearms and we need somebody. So now it's like, hey, if you can convince, if an armorer or somebody who claims to be an armorer can convince a line producer or a producer that they can save them some money and come out there and do the job, well, then they'll get the job, especially on the lower budget shows. But now if there was a national certification for armorers, then their question could be, hey, do you have your, uh, you have your armor certification, your studio armor, your union armor certification? And then if it said, what's that? Well, you better not, it would be advisable not to probably hire them. And uh, again, this is not too much to ask. It's a simple thing that to, to, to go through and one that should have been done a long time ago, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Now we have to talk about the, we have to bring up the conversation of, do we actually ever need real guns on set? Is visual effects at a point now where you don't need it? Um, if they are this dangerous, if people are able to get hurt, get killed on a set, do we really need it? And I've been seeing a lot online about this push towards visual effects. There's pros and cons. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm of the mindset that a practical effect sometimes is the best effect just because it's the most realistic. But I do want to have this conversation with you. Um, talk to us about that. Do you think that we can be in a world where there is no actual real guns on set shooting, blank shooting, anything. We can only use prop guns. Do you think that's possible? So that is an excellent question. And, you know, one that I've, you know, thought about myself and uh, put a lot of effort into coming up with a very good answer. Um, I've worked in the real world space since the early nineties and trained for over a decade, tactical agencies all over. Um, I've used a, Weapon, a firearm, is a tool uh, my entire career, um, both there and here, uh, much like a carpenter uses a hammer. So the weapon itself is never good nor bad, safe or unsafe. It's the operator that's good or bad, safe or unsafe. So the knee-jerk reaction to a lot of people that are, you know, that are saying, oh, get rid of guns, get rid of guns, get rid of guns, the first thing I would say is, you know, firearms have a place in the world if they're being used properly. Unfortunately, we don't live in, I always say, rainbows and puppy toes. Uh, The world that we live in is harsh. And if bad guys are out there doing bad things, then the good guys better hope they've got the way to to stop them because if they don't, it's going to be a one-sided battle for sure. Now, having said that, we move over into the space of Hollywood where your question is very relevant. Um, Do we need them? My first reaction would be, Thousands and thousands of movies have been made safely with firearms. Uh, no loss, loss of life is acceptable, zero, in that, in that world. But over the past what, 30 years, unfortunately, three people have lost their life. Um, you know, it's been done safely uh, for a long time, and it's been done safely with a high level of success. Conversely, stunts. Um, just a year before the COVID uh, a lockdown occurred and everything happened and the film industry shut down you know, for that period of time, uh, my very best friend uh, got seriously burnt on the set of a major uh, TV series because of an accident that shouldn't have happened and safety protocols not being followed. His friend fell from 20-something feet, broke his neck and killed himself and, or died. Oh, and then a lady uh, died uh, on a motorcycle accident going through a plate glass window and killed herself. That's two deaths and one major injury just from people that I'm directly uh, linked to. Uh, so many people die or injured in stunts uh, every year and it's not reported. Uh, 
So if you look at it also from a technical, I mean, from a statistical side there, it, if you follow the protocol and you follow the safety rules, it's okay to use them. You break them, then that tool becomes dangerous. And it's not the tool, it's the person. Well, yeah, because I'm thinking if, if there's a way to eliminate vulnerability, regardless of statistically how dangerous something is, should we be trying to do that? And that's exactly where I was, uh, what, what I was leading to and what I've really, you know, put some serious thought into. You know, I'm not, I uh, would never say, ever, and I'm being very serious about this. Uh, I'm not saying this just because I'm an armorer, just because I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, work on movie sets with firearms because I can promise you I could uh, transition to other things. And if, if there was safety and one person saved from harm because they weren't using guns, then I can, there would never be a hesitation of me to say that's fine. Okay, but unfortunately, visual effects is not to the point that it that it looks correct. Uh, you know, you, you you people refer to shows like Heat and the shootout between Pacino and De Niro in downtown L.A. and how visceral and how real it felt and it puts you in the in the moment. And it was because they were doing all that practically. It was the effect of the sound bouncing off the the buildings and the flash on the actors and even the actors' reaction as they were firing those weapons and. All of those things made it real. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, uh, Lone Survivor. I mean, it's a laundry list of movies that were done mm. with practical effects, and we want to see that because we want to see that as a movie goer. Correct? Uh, you muzzle, you you CG in the muzzle flash. That's one thing, and even those don't look correct uh, from a realistic standpoint. But they are acceptable in most cases and can be done. And even in shows that I work. Many times we'll say, "Hey, they want to do the, They want to point the weapon, you know, toward this area." And I'll be like, eh, "It's just a little unsafe, or it's too close inside of a motel room." One we recently did, and then I'll be the first one to walk over there to uh, to Katie at VFX and, and you know, visual, and I'll say, "Hey, Katie, can you can you muzzle? Can you do the muzzle flashes on this one?" Sure, oh, sure. sure. And I'll be the first one to say that because it's just no sense in it. There's no sense in risking something, and I'm not going to risk uh, injury. I'd rather you just go ahead and visual effects it, but. It's more to a visual effect than just a muzzle flash. You're using a machine gun or a modern gun. You've got the shell casing ejecting out of the chamber. You've got the flash bouncing off the walls, off the faces of everyone, not to mention the sound. And it just looks better. Uh, you know, I use this as an example. Uh, and it's, you know, you know, I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, the, the, uh, everything. And the first one, they did almost everything practically. The, if you ever watch a behind the scenes of that, they built the armor. They, they even, even the stuff you never see, they did it that, the right way. And that's not even firearms. That was just VFX. As they started using VFX, for me as a moviegoer, I did not like the other, the, the, the other in the trilogy. I liked the one that they actually did all practically because it looked real. And right now, I just don't believe the visual effects uh, can match uh, practical application of the firearm. I wonder if there's going to be a push now towards doing that or carving out budget for it or maybe cutting down the number of shots or changing scenes. or There, there has to be a way to avoid some of this vulnerability, even though it's very few people over the course of, you know, the history of cinema, but, but still, I do feel right. like there, if some attention can be paid to trying to mitigate that risk, why not? I agree with you wholeheartedly. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Not, not, you will never see a, an argument here with me on that. So we've got a few questions from uh, Instagram, and I just want to quickly blow through these. Uh, Chris Fenwick, is asking, should a gun that can kill ever be prepared, ever be referred to as a prop? I think we we cleared that earlier, knowing that 
there's a difference between a prop gun and a real gun, and it's oh, it correct. isn't referred to as a prop if it can. That's right. Yeah, good so, question, but but yes, yes. Um, we've got a question here from Jan uh, underscore se. Why is there even a real bullet on set? Are there shots like a CU of a loaded gun where it was necessary? We kind of talked about that too. There, sh it shouldn't. It shouldn't be. No, and that's a good question. Also, um, so don't, she covered two things there. She covered the shot, the the actual. Should there be a real round? Uh, no, uh, under no circumstances. And what about when they're loading the the weapon? Well, there's where the dummy rounds come into effect. Uh, the perfect example of using a dummy, a proper dummy round, but never a live round. Steve Foley, uh, Stephen Foley on Instagram is asking more question about kind of our culture. Um, how much is gun obsession in media part of the problem, or does such high gun prevalence actually indicate um, indicate it fine when safety is paramount? I, I I think the essence of the question here is just about our culturally what guns mean to you know people around the world and the country. Um, do you think there's any correlation between the the use of you know, firearms in movies and culturally what it is. I mean, I know that's a broader topic, but I don't, I, right. I want to at least give an opportunity for our audience to sure, have their questions course. answered. Of course. Um, I think, uh, Americans are, uh, you know, our gun culture. Uh, we were, you know, we're based off a of gun culture. You just take this Western, uh, you know, that was the means of defending yourself on the frontier. I mean, if you went out there on the frontier and you didn't have a six gun or a lever action rifle, uh, there's a lot of bad that could befall you from everything from bandits to to wild animals. So, you know, obviously, yeah. you know, our 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 heritage of, of our country's development was built on that, um, even all the way back to the revolution. You know, uh, so obviously we have a lot of gun culture in the United States. Um Difference from a lot of countries out there, uh, but at the same time, you know, we do a lot of movies that are based off military shows and historical westerns and things of that nature. And to depict that history, then firearms have to be in it. Yeah, I, I don't see how you can tell a western story or a I military agree. story without it. I, I don't know. Right. Um, and our last question here from Bryce Dearden on Instagram, I think, is a great way to wrap up our conversation. What do we do on what? Uh, what to do if we're on set? Uh, what do we? Sorry. What, what to do if we're on a set that isn't taking gun safety seriously? And I'd like to parlay this conversation and this answer into ne like how do we prevent this from ever happening again? What? How should the industry change? So we'll start it with his original question. What do you do if you're on set and you're not seeing that gun safety is being taken seriously? Okay. So excellent question. Um, and one that uh, my friend Mario, the actor that called me this morning and spoke to me, and one that the actress that I worked with on the show in Chicago recently, she had not had a lot of uh, experience with firearms, although she did a phenomenal job. I even told her, I said, you're in the top 10% of firearm safety. Just in the bre in the brevity I was able to instruct you, I was very impressed with her. Her And the first AD, by the way, on that uh, that set was extremely experienced lady with, um, with uh, just tons of safety uh, under her belt and, and working mm -hmm. with firearms. It was a pleasure to work on that set. Um, but I took that dummy round, and in between takes, I told her, I said, this is a dummy round. This is what it looks like, and this is what it sounds like. If you ever find yourself out on a set, and you don't, and you see a round, and you check it or have it checked, or you tell somebody to check it, and it does not sound like this, then you need to put a halt to anything you're doing. And if they're not showing the, these things before you're about to go on camera, then you need to tell everybody, okay, let's stop. Let's do a proper safety check. And I educate and try to instruct that to anyone that uh, that is going to be in the space of being 
uh, responsible, their life is responsible uh, by another human being. In other words, the responsibility of their safety is that of another human being. Because at the end of the day, and to your, uh, to, uh, was it Bryce? To uh, Bryce's Bryce, question, yeah. or to Bryce's question, if you're working on a movie set, at the end of the day, your safety is first and foremost your concern. And if you have other people that are being paid to uh, to make sure you're safe and you don't think they're doing it correctly, then it's your responsibility to speak up, even if it's difficult, even if it's uncomfortable. And if you use the word safety uh, on a movie set that's being filmed correctly with the right kind of people in place, they will pay attention. They will stop and say, whoa, safety is the, it's the, uh, it's the word that gets attention. And I say to you, Anytime you feel like you're being uh, something's unsafe or you see something being uh, done unsafe uh, and it's notable to speak up and say something about, do so and make sure that someone listens. So maybe go to your department head or if you are the department head, maybe go to your producer. Correct. What, what do you think is the right chain of uh, command? You know, there? chain of command, chain of command. And, on, and since we're talking about the, the film industry, you know, everything needs to be done properly. So I would go to the immediate supervisor. If let's just say you work in the props department, okay, and you see the armorer doing something unsafe. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable talking to the armorer for some reason, then you should go over to the props master and you should say, hey, uh, I saw this, that or the other, just letting you be aware of it. And from whatever you feel at that point, if you feel like it's going to be paid attention to, then, then that should be the, uh, the, the proper procedure. Then that prop master should bring the armor aside and talk to them and see what's going on. If you don't get attention from that, then you should move it up to uh, the office and go see a producer, talk to a producer. Um, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't walk up to the director of the first AD on set while they were filming unless you needed to shut something down, unless it was that unsafe. If it was something that uh, was... Um, uh, safety violation that you felt was just uh, made you feel uncomfortable, then go to a producer. But if it's something that makes you feel like someone's going to immediately be harmed or killed, then do what you have to do. I mean, if you need to go straight to the middle of the set and say, hey, everybody cut, someone's fixing to be hurt, then do that. And I don't think anyone will hold you, uh, hold you at fault for, for, for that action. They shouldn't. I'm so glad we were able to have this conversation. I think it's really important. I think it's great for our audience. And if you guys have any additional questions for Brian, please reach out to us. We will make the connection there. Um, Brian W. Carpenter, if you guys want to Google his name, you got to put the W in there. It's um, apparently there's somebody else out right. there parading long, as you. <laughs> long story, a long story there, you know, a long story there. Exactly. Yeah, thank so, you. So Google Brian W. Carpenter. And of course, um, you have a website too for your company. What is that? Where should people it's, go? It's Dark 30 Film Services, and our company, you know, provides services to film and training for any of those that are willing to get, you know, you know, good tier one training, both uh, in safety first and foremost, but even uh, for believability for their character if they're an actor. Um, I would like to uh, say one more thing. One of your, the second yeah. part of that question was what could be done moving forward, and there are two things that can be done. Two things that I think should most certainly be done, and number one is a nationwide certification, like we spoke of, for armors. Something that requires background, vetted process, and a piece of paper that has some uh, some backbone to it to let someone and anyone know this person can safely do the job that you're hiring them for. That's first. Number two is minimum safety training class for any talent and, and uh, any talent or crew that will be handling a firearm on set. You implement those two things, and that's your, you know, that's your safeguards to make sure that should an accident be about to happen, somebody will understand what they're dealing with and hopefully mitigate it and save a life. 
I'm so glad you came on, Brian. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. And guys, again, you can check him out. Google Brian W. Carpenter. Dark 30 Films is the name of his production company. We'll put a link to all of this in the show note, as well as a scholarship fund set up for Helena Hutchins, or in her name, rather. Um, AFI is doing it, and it's afi.com forward slash Helena Hutchins Scholarship Fund. And we'll put a link to that in the show note, too, if you guys want to donate some money to the scholarship fund. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. And I'd love to have you back when you we'll talk about something more fun next time sure something absolutely. not so tragic because i, I want to right. learn about just the work that you do you know i know you're a producer as well you have a production company you do a bunch of work in this field and i'm sure you have amazing stories to tell so next time you're out there promoting your next film please come back we'd love to have you hey i would love to do that and thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure all right i want to thank brian w carpenter Armorer and Weapons Master for Dark 30 Film Services for coming on the show today and talking to us about this very, very important topic. So thank you. And um, I also want to thank Connor Crosby, who produces the show. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com, as well as Dave Siegel at siegelsound.com, who mixes and masters and makes the show sound so good. Of course, follow us on your favorite podcast app. Search Go Creative Show, hit subscribe, and you'll never miss an episode. We also want you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and on YouTube especially. Go on there and click subscribe so you can hear and see us, which you know you want to do. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at Ben Consoli, B-E-N-C-O-N-S-O-L-I. I want to thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next week on another episode of the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. Filmmakers.